You are tuning in to On The Money with Dynamic Funds, a podcast series that delivers access to some of the industry's most experienced active managers and thought leaders. We're sitting down to ask them the pertinent questions to find out their insights on the market environment and navigating the investment landscape. Welcome to another edition of On The Money. I'm Mark Brisley, Head of Dynamic Funds. For the last few years, a topic that has been much discussed and analyzed by academics, finance and investment experts, is whether or not businesses that are run by their founders have measurable differences in how they perform versus companies led by non-founders or second-tier leadership. What differentiates founder-run companies from the rest of the market? Is it that founders of incredible companies that have changed the world are often visionary individuals with a very unique vision of the future? Or is it that they are willing to, as a Harvard Business Review written back in 2016 noted, wage war on industry norms on behalf of underserved customers, like a Netflix did for video rentals, or to create a new market entirely like a Google has done, something they refer to as leader insurgency. Chris Zook, a partner at global consulting firm Bain & Company, who studies entrepreneurial businesses, noted in the same Harvard Business Review article that when looking at most of the great tech firms of today, when we think of Oracle, Intel, Microsoft, Apple, Dell, Google, Amazon, and Facebook, and so many others, they all had founder CEOs. So the question's on the minds of investors the world over. Is there an advantage to be invested in founder-led firms, and why? With the global pandemic still looming over the year 2020, businesses have faced unprecedented and unforeseeable challenges. But at the same time, opportunities are emerging as a result of a shifting landscape. So I'm pleased to be joined today by Vice President and Portfolio Manager here at Dynamic Funds, Vishal Patel. As Lead Manager of Growth-Oriented North American Mandates, together with his investment team, he's currently managing over $5 billion of assets. Vishal employs deep fundamental analysis to select best-in-class, sustainable growth companies and he focuses on finding unique businesses run by strong business leaders and management teams that demonstrate sound capital allocation discipline. Michelle, it's great to have you in this particular discussion today and welcome. Thanks for having me, Mark. So I wanted to start with really a fundamental question around this whole subject is to ask you to explain the importance of co-investing, which is really when you take a position as a PM in, in these businesses, you're co-investing with company founders and entrepreneurs. Why is that important and how does it fit into your overall investment process? Sure. So the way that it fits into the investment process is really the qualitative step. If you think about business, business is really the combination of people. And so we're identifying these high quality people and we're isolating that factor. You know, there's a lot of talk of factor investing, but I think that the best factor is actually the human factor. These founders, they're rare, they're special and they're worth investing in. They have a long-term approach to value creation for shareholders. They think long-term, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. They're not focused on quarter to quarter. They have an ownership mindset. They have a very disciplined approach uh, to capital allocation and building the business. They're extremely focused. And there's a Harvard business study that you talked about that is really talks about up capture and down capture statistics and earning great returns over the cycle. So as an investor, then, when you're looking for the next great founder or entrepreneur or you know, business to invest in, what are the specific attributes that you're looking for in these types of people? You need to study their track record. You need to look at their pedigree. You need to look at their upbringing. You need to understand what they're passionate about. Look at their values. And for a lot of these 
individuals, it's about more than just making money. They're already rich. So what's driving them? What's motivating them? And I think the perfect example is Steve Jobs. You know, Steve Jobs was extremely focused on the product and the user experience. And he constantly talked about changing the world. And so if you can find five or 10 Steve Jobs to co-invest with, I think that'll have good results. You know, one of the interesting things to note is that when these founders are leading their businesses, it's great while they're there and while they're in their early and mid-stage of their careers. But as they age and the business becomes more mature, uh, then we start to think about things like succession planning. So at what stage does founder succession planning happen over the life cycle of a business? And, you know, what are some of the investment implications around that? There's really four categories here. The first category is the founder CEO and the CEO is still in place. You know, Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook is an example of that. Bezos is an example of that. Jensen at NVIDIA is an example of that. And they surround themselves with great management teams. And this is the area where we're finding the most opportunity to invest in longer term. The second piece is really the family member succession. You know, examples of that would be Estee Lauder. You've had members of the Estee Lauder family take a seat on the board, and then potentially uh, the son or daughter can become the CEO. You see that in Canada with the Weston uh, and Galen Weston Jr. The third category is really where the founder takes a step back, hires professional management, and takes a seat at the board level. Uh, some good examples of that uh, and successful examples of that is really Google. Uh, you know, Larry and Sergey Page, you know, they've gone on, uh, they hired Eric Schmidt, uh, and now you have Sundar Pichayat and Ruth Porat uh, running that business. Nike is another example. You know, Phil Knight had Mark Parker and now John Donahue. The last piece, and uh, you know, where we're not finding a lot of opportunities is where you know, the founder-led business you know, sells itself, uh, the founder is no longer involved. And what you would see in history, examples of that would be things like Carnegie Steel, uh, you know, which would be US Steel right now. So there's really four categories, but where we find the most opportunity is really when the founder is still around at the board level or is still the current CEO. Vishal, I mentioned you know, during our introduction that the global pandemic still being very much a part of our world. Uh, and all the challenges and uh, impacts and some opportunities that are coming as a result of it. It's also been an accelerant to a lot of conversations. And one of those conversations has been around uh, ESG or environmental, social and governance considerations. Uh, when we look at firms we want to invest in. How important are those considerations when you're investing in founder and family led firms? It's actually very important. And some of the founders are extremely passionate about the topic. A perfect example would be Mark Benioff at Salesforce. He's a good example of the E and S, so environmental and social. Uh, you know, they actually donate a percentage of the profits uh, for different causes. But specifically for us, you know, we're now signatories of the United Nations Principles for Responsible Investing, and we integrate ESG into the investment process. And we have access to databases like MSCI and Sustainalytics. But on this topic, uh, where we see things differently and how we take an active approach is really the G piece. Uh, when we think about governance, um, a lot of people think multi-vote is bad, and some of the databases would say multi-vote is bad. But for us, we actually like the multi-vote. Uh, we believe that there's actually strong alignment because of the multi-vote. Uh, we like it, we feel very comfortable with it, and we think that the management teams are able to actually take that longer-term approach because they have the multi-vote. I know you to be a real student of this subject, Michelle. I think our listeners would be really interested in hearing who you think some of the great business leaders and entrepreneurs are that have shaped your thinking when it comes to investing, especially on this particular subject? Well, you know, there's a lot of examples, uh, but I'll hone in on a couple of them. 
you know, Buffett, uh, I would say, is number one. And he wants to actually be known as a teacher. And I would consider myself a student of his. Earlier, I mentioned uh, Steve Jobs with Apple, you know, that focus on the customer, that focus on the user experience and sticking to it and doing it for the long term. You know, a Canadian example to use, uh, and I think it's a lovely story, and it's a story of starting from the bottom, you know, starting with one convenience store and growing it to the thousands of convenience stores and having that entrepreneurial drive uh, would be Alain Bouchard. So he's the founder of Couchtart, so these Circle K stores that you see everywhere. You know, two other individuals that have actually shaped my thinking from an investing standpoint, but we can't really participate in that because, you know, these are private businesses and our conversation today is really focused on public businesses. Jimmy Patterson runs an amazing business and the same thing for the Irving family. Timing of this conversation is interesting because I just happened to be reading uh, Howard Schultz's new book from the ground up, of course, Howard Schultz being of Starbucks fame. Starbucks wasn't really his firm. He started a firm, Il Journal, which became what Starbucks is now. Do you consider a guy like Howard Schultz a founder and is Starbucks a founder-led business? The answer is uh, absolutely. And it's an amazing story uh, with humble beginnings. You know, Howard started in New York in which you could consider uh, not the best neighborhood. And he would now be one of the richest people in the world with billions of dollars. Uh, and I do consider him to be the founder because the idea here of retail was actually his idea. When you talk about what he was working on before, uh, the idea was really selling wholesale coffee and selling wholesale coffee in bags. The whole idea of having a retail shop, a retail presence, and going back to that customer focus, customer experience, you know, I would say is actually him. And then if you take this conversation back to the ESG conversation we just had earlier, you know, I would actually say that he was at the forefront of ESG a long time ago, and he did it because it made a lot of business sense. And I think he's leaving a lasting legacy, you know, whether it's free trade coffee from an environmental perspective, when you think about worker pay and healthcare benefits, employee share ownership plans. So yeah, I definitely consider him uh, to be an amazing individual. He still owns a lot of stock in, in the company. He's now chairman emeritus. I believe he's got some political ambitions, but uh, Starbucks is definitely an amazing business and Howard's an amazing guy. You mentioned stock ownership. That, that's a really interesting point. I'm curious if you think there is a certain percent of stock ownership that you look for you know, by the founder in these founder-led businesses. So there's no golden rule on, you know, you got to have X percent or Y percent. You know, it could range from as little as 5% to 75%. But the idea is you really are looking for somebody who wants to own uh, the business longer term, not trade their ownership position, take that longer term behavior, have that ownership mentality. Uh, and the idea uh, is actually around, you know, they're not just looking at, you know, if you, they, it doubles or, you know, if the market cap reaches X, they want to sell down. You actually want them to be thinking longer term, thinking multi-generational. And a perfect example of this would be Jeff Bezos. Imagine, you know, he decided to sell his uh, stake in Amazon um, when it reached 10 billion. You know, he wouldn't be the richest person in the world right now. So the idea isn't looking for that specific price target or specific exit strategy. Uh, but the idea here in the concept is somebody that's going to keep that ownership stake for the long term. But that being said, over time, I do understand that, uh, you know, managements and companies and founders need to sell down. And a majority of the cases, uh, it's because of philanthropic activities. You know, Microsoft and the Gates Foundation is a good example of that. So, you know, that having a slow sell down for a foundation or uh, philanthropic activities, I think, is uh, desirable. And, uh, you know, these are the good things that uh, some of these individuals want to do longer term. So many of these 
types of businesses, the founder becomes or attains almost a celebrity status. And that would maybe potentially make somebody think that, you know, team building uh, is not as important as the, you know, the self-driven aspects of one's ego. But when you read about them, you, you do realize team and culture seems to be really important. So how important is building the right team and culture in these businesses? And is that an aspect you're looking for in the companies that you're investing in? Definitely. Uh, I believe there's a book and or a saying, you know, culture triumphs strategy. So you're actually creating a, a good culture. And this goes back to the founder and building those unique cultures and having the right values. And I believe that culture is actually extremely important. And the perfect example of somebody that really embraces culture and how they talk about culture is actually amazing is uh, Jensen. You know, he's the CEO of NVIDIA. NVIDIA is focused on artificial intelligence and they make a graphics processing unit. But the way he talks, you know, he really says his chief job is really, uh, you know, culture, culture catalyst. But his job is to create the right environment for talent to succeed. So just think about that. Create the right environment for talent to succeed. So if you come to NVIDIA and you want to compete in high performance computing, it's a place where you can do your life's work. So here's somebody that's saying, I need to create the right culture so that talented individuals can do their life's work. And, you know, it's just a beautiful story. And I think he's created an amazing culture. And if anyone actually gets to spend a little bit of time uh, visiting the corporate headquarters, it would be something I would recommend. I'm going to go a completely, uh, what's going to maybe even seem like a weird direction here for a second. But uh, you and I had been talking about the miniseries uh, out right now, The Queen's Gambit on Netflix. You wanted me to ask you about it. So how is that connected to our conversation today? Sure. So I'm recommending the show. It's actually really good. But you know, the core concept in the show is really talent and being best in class. And it's about being best in class in chess. And when we think about public market investing and our topic today, you know, the beauty with the stock market is that you have 11 sectors. So you can actually go out and find the best from coast to coast in Canada. You can actually say who's the best. You can go to the US and in public markets, you're able to partner and co-invest with the best. And this idea uh, you know, we just talked about Starbucks, so it could be the best in coffee, and that's Starbucks. It could be the best in shoes, and that's Nike. But, you know, it could be in healthcare and biotechnologies. There's so many areas in the marketplace that you can invest in. But if you can go out, find the best, uh, and co-invest with the best, I believe that you're going to add a lot of value longer term. So the key concept here is imagine if you can actually benefit X percent of the earnings power uh, of one of these great individuals. And that's really what public market investing allows you to do. You know, hopefully we continue to talk about a global economic recovery. And, you know, there'll be all kinds of debate about what stage of that we're in right now, or even if we are. But as this continues to evolve and unfold, Michelle, where do you expect to find opportunities in the market? You know, I continue to believe that, you know, this founder-led, family-led business and the long-term and sticking with them long-term remains the best opportunity set you know, the idea isn't, you know, pre-position, pre-COVID, post-COVID, pre-election, uh, post-election. You know, these founders, you know, they're running the business for the next 5, 10, 15 years. And if you have an opportunity to co-invest with them for the long term, I believe that they'll be able to manage through any kind of macroeconomic scenario. So, you know, that would be point number one. You know, point number two uh, would really be around, you know, searching for that next generation founder and entrepreneur across all the different sectors. You know, there's so many industries, so many sectors uh, out there, and there's a bunch of emerging founders that, you know, there's not books that have been written about them. So if we can find uh, these emerging founders uh, before the books are written about them, co-invest with them and benefit from that longer term success, 
you know, I think that that's going to be one of the huge areas of opportunity longer term. We talk a lot about long-term investing and, you know, the need to be focused on the long term to come out of the current situation we're in, but also just for success in general uh, in any market or any cycle. What are some of the words of advice you can give to our listeners about staying focused on the long term as an investor? And you know, a good colleague of ours has often shared that that, that phrase in a humorous way that people are are long term investors one month at a time, but that doesn't work. So, what can you share with us to to keep us focused on the long term? Sure. So today we introduced the concept of co investing. It's a simple concept, but it's a very powerful concept. And the reason why it's a powerful concept is there's alignment and there's alignment of capital, but that alignment of capital uh, and this simple concept can only work if you're willing to take that longer term approach. And this is why I believe that if you actually align yourself with some of these great business business leaders and founders, you'll do extremely well. And so you wanna participate uh, and benefit uh, in this ride, uh, this success that they're having. And so the best thing you can actually do is go out and co-invest so that you can actually maybe spend more time with your family. You know, maybe you can watch some Netflix. And, you know, there's a lot of things written about, uh, you know, successful habits that you should have. Uh, but, you know, I think one of the best habits that you can actually form is the habit of co-investing with great people. No, that's great advice. Th those businesses weren't built overnight and neither will the success of investing with those business leaders as, as well. Vishal, one of the things that the pandemic has done for a lot of people is given them more time to do things. Uh, you've always been a voracious reader. Any book recommendations for us uh, to take a look at over the holidays coming up? I actually have three recommendations and they're connected with every piece of the conversation that we had earlier. You know, so the first recommendation I have is really uh, Jeff Bezos's book. It's called The Everything Store. It's the ultimate example of a founder-led business who's still in the chair right now. And this business, Amazon, has touched all of our lives. One of the points uh, that I liked in the book was he actually spent a little bit of time with uh, Jim Senegal, he's the uh, you know the co-founder of Costco, and so you know he was able to learn from others, and this concept of learning from others is 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 key. The second book is really uh, Bill Campbell. The book's called Trillion Dollar Coach, and all these founders have coaches, and so Bill Campbell's actually been the coach for some of these businesses that we're talking about today, and it's interesting. So the ability to be coachable and to grow and develop, you know, these people that we're talking about right now to co-invest, they're not perfect. Um, and it takes time and they're developing over time. You know, I think we talk about wine, you know, in a way they're like a fine bottle of wine, you know, they're getting better every day, they're growing, they're developing, but for them to reach that heightened level, they do need coaching. They need to be coachable. And I think trillion dollar coach is an excellent book. The last book I'm recommending, uh, and it goes along with the idea of co-investing. So this is Ken Langone's book. It's called, I love capitalism. Um, and he made his fortune. Uh, organizing financings from Home Depot. So he actually aligned himself very early, uh, similar to the discussion we're having today. Uh, and he owned Home Depot shares very early and he was able to you know, benefit from the ride and success at Home Depot. So I'm recommending that book, I Love Capitalism. Great recommendations. And as always, Vishal, really insightful. Uh, such an interesting topic, uh, especially given the times we find ourselves in. And uh, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to share those insights with us today and to thank all of our listeners for joining us as well. 
If there's more information that you'd like to find out about the way Vishal Patel and his team invests or any of the other portfolio managers here at Dynamic, we invite you to visit our website at dynamic.ca. And of course, as always, we believe that the best information source for you is through a qualified financial advisor and invite you to seek more information on any of the topics discussed today or that you are interested in via that means. We want to thank you for joining us in another edition of On The Money. This audio has been prepared by 1832 Asset Management LP and is provided for information purposes only. Views expressed regarding a particular investment, economy, industry, or market sector should not be considered an indication of trading intent of any of the mutual funds managed by 1832 Asset Management LP. These views are not to be relied upon as investment advice, nor should they be considered a recommendation to buy or sell. These views are subject to change at any time based upon markets and other conditions, and we disclaim any responsibility to update such views. To the extent this audio contains information or data obtained from third-party sources, it is believed to be accurate and reliable as of the date of publication. But 1832 Asset Management LP does not guarantee its accuracy or reliability. Nothing in this document is or should be relied upon as a promise or representation as to the future. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses all may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of return are the historical annual compound total returns, including changes in unit values. And reinvestment of all distributions does not take into account sales, redemption, or option changes, or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. Mutual funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated.